Well, join me in prayer before we listen to God's word. Lord, you indeed are worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our singing to you. You're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of our confidence in you, the living God. And so we pray now that as we hear your word that you would open our minds and hearts to hear it and that you would work by your spirit in us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Some of the men were talking about putting something in here. (laughs) Fortunately, I put the water in so I know it's only water. And none of them have the gift of changing it into something else. Well, I invite you to hear God's word. It's uh, in your bulletin. And I want you to look at it because there's an important word that I've highlighted in the text itself. So this is the second message to... uh, in Revelation to the church. We did Ephesus two weeks ago, and now we're at Smyrna. So to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions. There's that word I want you to notice, philipsis. How's your Greek? You want to try it? Thalipsis. You're going to hear it a few times this morning. And your poverty, yet you are rich. I know that you are about to, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. There's our word again, Thalipsis. I tell you, The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever hears, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the letters uh, in the book of Revelation are written to seven churches, and they're even written for us today. C.S. Lewis wrote a number of books he called Supposals. Uh, One of them is The Great Divorce, which is his supposal about what heaven would be like. Well, I want you to suppose with me for a moment this morning. Suppose Jesus wrote a letter to us, St. John's. Here's what he might say. Dear St. John believers in Jesus, you ready? You're going to suffer severe afflictions. (laughs) Be poor and slandered. Furthermore, cosmic powers, Satan, the accuser, and the devil, the slanderer, will be sending some of you to San Quentin State Prison. 
I know that's a bit of an ad lib, but. <clears throat> and you will suffer persecution for your understanding for an undeterminate amount of time, probably a little more than a week. And some of you will die because of these activities of Satan and the devil. But keep your faith in me. These are happening to test you. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Sincerely, Jesus. You're thinking, if uh, such a letter actually came to us, what would be your thinking and feelings right now? You might be thinking, oh, this won't happen. No worries. We're safe. Now, how can you imagine what the church in Smyrna felt and thought when they received this message of afflictions, suffering, tribulation, pain, and it came from Jesus. Now, as I read the passage over and over again this week, <clears throat> I pondered and imagined what thoughts might be running through their minds as they heard this letter. They were thinking something like this, I think. Don't you have a better message? Do you have something else you might want to write to us? Fortunately, I only painted <clears throat> what we might consider the harsher part of the letter to the church in Smyrna. Remember, it's a supposal. But Jesus' letter here is real. But Jesus uses similar language actually with his disciples just before his crucifixion. For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and verse 9, he says, And they will deliver you up to Philipsis, suffering, persecution, and put you to death. In verse 24, he says, For there will be great Philipsis. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, In the world, and he's talking to his disciples, to us, you will have Philipsis. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Yet, we need to know there's a very positive message actually at the end of the letter to Smyrna, which we'll get to eventually. So just a few things about Smyrna. Today it's, it's Izmir, one of the largest cities in Turkey. It's about 35 miles up the coast from Ephesus. And you have a little map in your uh, bulletin. That way you can sort of keep track of where we're going. We were at Ephesus two weeks ago, just up the road is Smyrna. It was called the crown of Asia, the flower of Asia. It was the birthplace of Homer, not Homer Simpson. Okay, <laughs> have to get the right Homer here. It had a temple to uh, Deo Roma and other temples and Jewish synagogues. And these were all built on an Acropolis hill with a dramatic visual effect popularly called by the people the crown of Smyrna. Now this religious pluralism and the cosmic powers affected the belief of the Jews and lots of people in Smyrna so that when we read that these are not Jews but the synagogue of Satan, it's because they've been affected by all of these powers. We saw 
two weeks ago, the Ephesian church was known by its love. This church is a church of suffering. Now, when we come to this passage, there are some issues that confront us, especially for modern readers, and they're in verses 9 and 10, where we find the first mention of Satan and devil in the book of Revelation. Actually, in chapter 12 and verse 9, Satan and devil are actually placed right together (laughs) with each other. Satan, of course, is just the direct translation of Greek. So now you know another Greek word, Satan, which means adversary. The devil is diabolos, or the slanderer. Uh, This is not the first time, though, that we meet the existence of these two in Scripture. In fact, this is exactly what we find from the beginning to the end of Holy Scripture. C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, you find the demoniac is presented as a personal will against the will of God at the cosmic level of the created world. In our passage, the devil has freedom and power. It's hard to imagine that, but it's been granted by God. And the devil's will is not only against God, but it is against God's people, about, against the church, against us. In fact, we're going to pray in a little bit your will be done. Don't put us to the test, but deliver us from the evil one. But keep in mind, the devil's power is not ultimate and final. God's is. Well, the most important part of this letter concerns Jesus. And I'm going to point out four things. First, Jesus is eternal. In verse 8, Jesus tells us that he's the first and the last. It's the promise that he gave to John in the first chapter in verse 17. It's the same as the divine title that's given in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus shares the eternal, immutable being with God. Jesus is not simply a good person. I mean, he is that, and he's, oh, so much more than a good person. What do we need in the midst of severe distress, trials, suffering? Well, we need more than a good man who can hold our hand through it. We need the eternal one, the first and the last. We actually need Jesus himself as we go through hard times. He's eternal. Second, Jesus is our source of encouragement because he has conquered death itself. We read, and he was dead and now has come to life again. Jesus defeated death. Now, according to the French author Albert Camus, any of you ever read Mr. Camus? If you did English, you probably were forced to. He says, death is philosophy's only problem. Well, it's the only problem because every human being faces it. 
And that includes you and me. Jesus died a ghastly death on the cross. And God overturned his execution by raising him from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, his words and his living presence give us confidence in the midst of our problems as it did this church in Smyrna. I mean, in addition, we can be faithful to him in the midst of afflictions because we know that he is stronger than death. I mean, Jesus' resurrection is the cornerstone of our confidence and our hope as followers of Jesus. Pascal, another one of my favorites. Any of you read Pascal? I saw a finger. That's a Presbyterian raising its hand. Okay. Pascal said uh, he had learned to define life backwards and then live forward. By that he meant that he first dealt with death, defined it, and then he lived his life after knowing what death was all about. I mean, without confidence in Jesus conquering death, risen and alive, we will live our lives through the foggy valley of the shadow of death without hope. I mean, our secular culture offers people only hopelessness these days. Well, all journeys are planned with a destination in mind. How many have ever traveled without a destination? We've got travelers that will go wherever it goes. <laughs> you see, because Jesus has defeated our fear-filled problem, death, we live each day confident in him. Death does not have the last word. Jesus, the life, does. Well, third, because Jesus has conquered death and lives, he is our confidence that we will not be harmed by the second death. There was an African-American preacher in L.A. that was around there in the 80s and 90s, a fellow named E.V. Hill. And he used to proclaim this pretty regularly. Those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice die once. I mean, here's the great news. Those who trust in Jesus, who have been born again, will never face hell, as Revelation puts it, the lake of fire, which is indeed the second death in Revelation 21, verse 14. Well, that's scary, isn't it? Well, fourth, Jesus promises us a crown of life, so now he moves to a very positive image. It's not a merit badge reward. It's actually a motivational gift from the hand of Jesus. Note, it's Jesus who says, I will give you a crown of life. I mean, this is a perfect image, actually, for Smyrna. Remember, I mentioned earlier that that temple-filled Acropolis was called 
the crown of Smyrna. William Ramsey, who was an archaeologist, wrote this. He said, if we express John's thought in full, it would be instead of a crown of buildings which you boast of or a crown of men that your philosophers recommend, I, Jesus, will give you a crown of life. See, that's what they heard. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. It's not the word thalipsis, but it's close. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now listen, which God has promised to those who love him. I mean, Paul knew about real life. And he knew about God's promise. In Romans 8.18, he writes, I consider that the present sufferings, and if you know anything about Paul's life, he had lots of suffering. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he continues in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, shall trouble, guess what, that's that word, philipsis again, suffering, pain, affliction. And his answer follows, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's confidence in Jesus Christ. And it's the confidence that resided in the Christians in Smyrna. It's a confidence they didn't lose in the midst of their afflictions, severe deprivation, being slandered in prison, facing death, because of their faith in Christ. They hated Jesus' charge, be faithful unto death. And they were. And that is why there's not a whiff of criticism of this church. Two weeks ago, we saw the criticism of Ephesians. We're going to see Jesus going to criticize some other ones. But this church, in the midst of suffering, gets no criticism. None. Now, you may not be facing death or even suffering for your faith in Jesus. Instead, you may be struggling with pressures at work or in your home. You may be suffering from depression. Perhaps your health is failing and you're struggling with it. Jesus is bigger and greater than your fear or your current suffering. I mean, his promise of life and eternal life are built on Jesus' greatness. So, do you have confidence in a great Jesus who is eternal, who has defeated and conquered death, who lives and reigns in heaven, and who will give you a crown of life one day? 
You don't want to be like that little one crying at the end. You need to know they don't bother me. I'm, I'm glad to hear someone cry. I hope he's not crying about the sermon, though. <clears throat> I mean, Jesus knows your present situation and your future as well. I mean, the old spiritual got it right. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. I mean, Jesus is majestic and mighty. He's God. Jesus is the one who will sustain you and me through the ups and downs of our day-to-day living. I mean, Jesus helps us walk through the shadowlands without giving in to despair because we know our destination. It's heaven. So the question is, do you have confidence in this Jesus who reveals himself here? Let us pray. Lord, you really are great. You're far greater than we can even imagine. And you are the one who holds us tightly in your grip. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for holding on to us. Thank you for giving us not only this life, but eternal life. We thank you for your love, dear God, through your son Jesus, that's poured out on us every day by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we're going to stand and sing.